coming up this week off screen. Chibito Ejifor and Nicole Kidman have a secret in their eyes. We crown King Jack. Natalie Dorma takes a deadly trip into the forest. We peek behind the other side of the door. Keanu Reeves is exposed. North Korea plays the propaganda game. Richard Gere is the benefactor. And Sasha Baron Cohen takes us to Grimsby. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. My name is still Case Allen. Still to this still, day. Still, yeah. So, shall we start this week off in style then with the propaganda game? Oh, yes, please. So this is the yeah. second feature-length documentary by Spanish filmmaker Alvaro Longoria. Which, is Longoria actually Spanish now? I never realised. I Long- just assume Eva Longoria so. Spanish then? I, I don't She's know. Spanish ask, her, ask her next time you see her. Uh, no, well, when I see it, when I see it down the pub, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll drop it. I'll ask. Hey, Eva. <laughs> Eva, you Spaniard? <laughs> so, right, this is uh, supposedly an examination of the use of propaganda on a population, and it uses as a case study uh, North Korea, which is obviously the population on the planet today which is the most influenced by, by sort of government mm. propaganda. Yeah. Uh, what you get instead, very quickly, is more an examination of just North Korean culture and how they're ruled by the government, and well, a look at the world behind the behind the curtain, as it were, the, the sort of invisible iron curtain that exists around it and we also meet the very very fascinating Alejandro Keo de Bonos I think his name is and uh, let me let me look it up. Let me look it. Up. I've got it written down somewhere. It is. You got like Ale- a handy pronunciation guy. Alejandro Cayo de Benos. Excellent. Yeah, who yeah. is the only foreigner to work for the North Korean government, and he's a high up military figure, oh. and he's fascinating. Here is here is him talking about the influence of capitalism on his population. China changed. Mao was betrayed by their own comrades. Stalin was betrayed by their own comrades. Vietnam, a country that suffered so much under U.S. invasion, is now a full capitalist country. So, could it happen tomorrow to North Korea? Yes. They are humans also. So, one day the poison of capitalists could enter in this country in 50 or 100 years. We're going to ask Alejandro, how come a Coca-Cola sign got into North Korea? Oh, really? (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So this has easy explanation. Normally, we don't have enough rich by national production, so we import them from China. And then from China, it comes already rapid like he is a fascinating figure. He's he definitely the, sounds it. He's the breakout star of this film. He's not. He, he kind of inadvertently becomes the focal mm. figure in it. And the way this works is the, the is that Longoria applied uh, through through Facebook to. Alejandro, and you just you just come you just come to know him as Alejandro. That's how he is, and he replied to him through Facebook, and then weeks later was given a set of conditions and told if you're willing to work with those, you can merrily come and do your documentary. That's fine. You can talk to anyone you want. Don't film any military institutions. Uh, don't wander off on your own. Yeah, reasonable enough conditions. And what you get is this really sort of. Almost, it tries to be a propaganda exercise in itself. Like you can feel that Alejandro is trying to impart his propaganda ways upon the filming crew. It's only a three-man crew. It's Longoria and his, his cameraman, his sound person, and uh, he admits himself at one point that after five days, I can feel the sort of propaganda effects sort of working on me. I feel like if I weren't as objective as I am, I would fall for this. I would very much sucker into mm. what's going on. <clears throat> now, the defining problem with the film is that it loses its own point as regards the propaganda thing. It, very quickly becomes sort of more of an examination about North Korea and the propaganda thing falls by the wayside. Now, you do get a reference to the interview. You, you get that. And you cut, it's amusing to me that actually what Longoria is trying to do is exactly what James Franco was setting out to do originally mm. in the interview. <laughs> and there is a fascinating sort of hindsight look from the North Korean side, which is represented by uh, uh, Alejandro himself. And it is a look back on the events of the interview. And it doesn't so much admit that they were a part of what went on with Sony, although it doesn't not say that, if you know what I mean. It's an interesting one. 
you do get this sort of staunch, uh, media-friendly, soapbox-climbing libertarian view from Longoria himself, but he does have kind of a decent sense of humour about it. And, but because he loses his, his own message so early on, he kind of has to wrap it all up with this really sort of slapped-together, rapid, deteriorated attempt to tie all of his threads together. It doesn't really work in the way that he seems to think it does. But it is an entertaining film, and you will love having encountered Alejandro <laughs> I say, I want to see a, a film about him. Now, get, get Kevin James to play him. It would be I was going to say, who, who would you cast? It, Kevin James could play him. If, if you were willing to put some fake tan on Kevin James... I think you are the only person other than Adam Sandler who would willingly want to <laughs> I would, cast I would, him. I would, I would give Kevin James a job in this case. Wow. You put some fake tan on Kevin James, he could do this. Well, yeah, but then you'll just get accused of uh, Hollywood whitewashing. Exactly. So, let's uh, let's talk about the big news of the week, yeah, then, which is, of course, uh, a film that we have been aching for, we have been dying for. It's finally happening. It's none other than... Pacific Rim yes. 2, it's finally I can't happening. believe this news. Right, so it's, it's not going to have Guillermo del Toro directing. That is the sad news. He's going off no. to do, uh, is it the Scary Stories movie? Uh, he's got about 17 different projects. He, that, well, that is one of them. He is del Toro. Yeah. He always has 17 projects at any given time. Yeah. So he's uh, now passed the reins over to Stephen S. Knight, who yeah, of course brought us the Daredevil series last yeah. year. He, he's involved in Angel as well. He was. Yeah. Is he doing the second Daredevil series? Is it still uh, him? No, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's passed on the because Daredevil was originally meant to be Drew Goddard uh, yeah, running that, and then, and then he, he dropped out and, yeah. and he did The Martian, yeah. and Stephen Denight is, is now, was running that, and now Guillermo del Toro has dropped out of this, and Stephen Denight said, he's the guy you go to when someone... Yeah, totally. He's, yeah. he's your second pick, but he's a damn good second pick. He really is. We don't know what the title is, we presume it's still Pacific Rim Maelstrom, that was, that was the that title was, at one that point. That was floated, yeah. Charlie Day, uh, Charlie Hunnam, Burn uh, yeah. Gorman... Uh, Ron Perlman, all back. Is Ron Perlman back as well? Ron Perlman apparently is back as well as Hannibal Chow. Hannibal Chow. Man, that film has just got some of the best characters. I names. love that film so much. <laughs> yeah. It's just a real shame oh. we can't have Idris Elba back as well. But you know what? Hey, hey flashback. 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 Get a flashback. What was, what was Drift his character flashbacks. name? Drift flashbacks. Drift flashbacks. What was his character? He had a good oh, one as well. Marshall Stacker Pentecost. Stacker Pentecost. That was it. <laughs> no, but you have to add the Marshall. Marshall, yeah. Marshall Stacker. One, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. <laughs> Should we look at the first half of this week's box office top ten, then see what's going on? Yeah, in the let's do it. What are the let's public seeing? Do you know? I don't know. I, I only find. Do you know out. what? I have all the information right, <laughs> right here. here. Well, on that note, then we cue the sound bites. Number ten, Spotlight. Hey, you know what? It's held in there fairly well. I mean, uh, four weeks. Four, four, weeks. four it's, weeks. It's an Oscar-run film. It's one of those films that, it, as soon as the Oscars have happened, you know, uh, this Sunday, as soon as they've taken place, Spotlight will disappear, and I think any interest in it will go oh, until I, the home I'm, release. I'm not sure. I think mm. uh, it might have a bit of a spike, depending on how well it does. Well, you know, it's in one of that way that 12 Years a Slave mysteriously vanished as soon as the Oscars took place. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this one, solidly entertaining, gripping, suspenseful. Well-directed. Very well-directed. Tom um, McCarthy on both counts, though. Yeah, so. I mean, every, a lot of the things about the film worked. I mean, there wasn't really anything that didn't work for me. I loved Stanley Tucci in the role. I liked Mark Ruffalo particularly. And of course... a great cast. Yeah, exactly. Michael Keaton, Rachel McCams. See it, be gripped, you'll love it. Number nine. Star Wars The Force Awakens. I had to wait for the lightsaber to fully ring out. Did, did you wait for, yeah. wait, for, wait for the lightsaber to be resheathed? Yeah. <laughs> well, what's left to say on, on Star Wars? We have, yeah. we have this every week. There's nothing left to say. Ten, after ten weeks? After ten weeks. What else can you say other than bring on the Blu-ray? Yeah, that's it. Bring on the Blu-ray, please. We need this film yeah. in our homes now. because it's, it's coming out for Easter, We've all been seen multiple times, I think. And, and yeah. we want it in our homes now because you're costing <laughs> us too much in cinema trips. <laughs> You've made all the money, Disney. Yeah. You don't need any more until Rogue One comes out. Exactly. There are only so many BB-8 toys I can buy. Stop (laughs) making them now. How how many do you own? Uh, Three. Three, genuinely. (laughs) Number eight. The Revenant. No toys of this one. No no toys for the Revenant. No Leo action figure. I, I would buy that action no, figure. No posable plush bear. Is it Movie Maniacs used to do the horror figures? Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that would yes. be a great one. Oh, DiCaprio yeah. with the bear. And you, what a film. It is just this great art survivalist piece, artistic survivalist piece, I would call yeah. it, with fantastic performances from DiCaprio, who needs the Oscar now. Oh, it's going to happen. It's got to happen. Uh, and Tom Hardy, great direction. Yeah. Uh, Donald Gleason's great. Donald Gleason. Will Poulter. Oh yeah, Will Poulter, yeah. always Who, getting overlooked. Yeah. Have you heard, by the way, there is a, a Facebook movement afoot. If Leo wins the Oscar, we all meet in Leicester Square. Number seven. Zoolander 2. <laughs> Zoolander 2. You've seen this one now, haven't you? Yeah. So what were you saying? You heard about the Odeon. Sorry, yeah, I just got... Right, I heard of the Odeon if 
uh, he does win. We're going to like rename the Odin in Leicester Square to Lee Odin. I love it. Brilliant. We should do that. That was it. That was literally that, it. That was it. Okay. So Zoolander 2, very much out of time, I think. Um, yeah. Such a shame. Like, I think if it came out about, I don't know, four years after. About 2005, yeah. it would have worked. If, if it did, like, the Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, where it's not too long of a gap. Mm, I, I think I was a bit too complimentary on it in hindsight. Although, it isn't Anchorman 2, and that, that does that, that works yeah. for me that it isn't Anchorman 2. It's a lot. It, there is a bit more effort in it than that, but it's still not a brilliant film. Although, I never really understood the appeal of the first one. I did. Number six. Triple Nine, a brand new entry. Which. Let's start with Triple Nine. Okay. It's well made, but it just doesn't have much in the way of punch to it. Kate Winslet's hamming it up with the Ruski accent. And you've got great performance in that, like Chewy Edge of 40s, mm. but it's just not as interesting and engaging as it needs to be. It's a very well made, yeah. very well acted film, on the most part, but it just doesn't hold your interest, and that's a problem. This is, this is something I always find with John Hillcoat's films. Yeah, we have this with Lawless, yeah. Definitely have this with Lawless. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. It's like the 4th of July on an aircraft carrier when you hear that guitar yeah, riff, isn't like, it? bald eagles flying overhead. <laughs> exactly. There's something Top Gunnish about that. So, this week sees the release of the horror film The Other Side of the Door, directed Ooh. by Johannes Roberts mm. and starring Sarah Wayne Callies from The Walking Dead, Walking which Death we are going to review in about six minutes' time. But first. But, but first a little something different. So, I actually got the privilege of popping down to uh, Soho to actually interview uh, Sarah Wayne Callies and Johannes Roberts, both of whom were a hoot and a holler. She, in particular, is not what you expect, and he is so much more of a carpenter geek than you'd hope. So, so on that note, we turn to Sarah Wayne Kelly's to uh, talk about the other side of the door. Sarah, thanks for talking to us. Mm. I understand you must get offered so many horror projects on the back of, for instance, your role in The Walking Dead. I wonder what it was yeah. that drew you to this one particularly? Yeah, I didn't really want to be involved in anything that was horror-based, um, partly because I don't watch it. I, I get scared, so I don't watch Walking Dead, I don't watch horror movies. It's not a genre I know. And to me, this wasn't a horror movie. This was a movie about a woman going mad from grief. And and that then turned into a psychological thriller about a woman who thinks she's losing her mind um, and then turns into a full-blown, terrifying horror movie. But it was the first sort of two bits of that that I was interested in. And, um, and I thought Johannes had written a really interesting film with a lot of levels. You know, I approached it the same way I'd approach a drama. Which leads me to the next question. It, uh, it, the film follows uh, the certain conventions of the mother-child dynamic in the horror genre. Um, as, a, uh, as a parent yourself, did you, were you able to draw anything from your own uh, motherhood about that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's... The part of this that's a horror to me is the idea of having to choose between your children, right? Like, Sophie's Choice is one of the worst movies ever made for that. You just can't watch it more than once. And... Um, you know, I had to leave my young son behind. He was six months old when I went to India to film this, and I was really torn up about whether or not to go. Um, but it was, you know, it was an exploration that I felt was worth doing, and he was in really good hands. And, you know, that, that fed into everything, just missing my little boy. So whether, you say you don't watch horror films yourself, mm -hmm. yet you've come from Walking Dead, you appeared mm -hmm. in, in Pay the Ghost with Nicolas mm -hmm. Cage, and now this as well. Is yeah. there no desire to be a scream queen at all, though? None. I don't... I think... To me, I think the whole notion of genre is falling apart. Do you know what I mean? Which is to say, for a long time, people talked about genre movies and genre TV, and what they meant was crap, right? <laughs> like, it's not really well acted, it's not really well directed, it's not really well written. You know, the editing might be a little scary, but the only reason you'd go is to go... <gasps> Like, that's the only thing there. And I think when somebody like Frank Darabont decides to direct a show like The Walking Dead and Gail Ann Hurd decides to produce it, what you realize is that's falling apart. You have really great filmmakers coming in to tell really human stories that also happen to be terrifying. And so, to me, that's, that's an extension of a drama. That's not a genre thing, because it's not... Because it's no longer, you know, if we've done our jobs well, it's no longer badly directed, badly acted, and badly written. It's just scary. Which is that fair. That makes any right? sense. It does. <laughs> um, I understand in researching this, I've discovered that you grew up off the U.S. mainland in Hawaii, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Did you draw anything from sort of that upbringing that you brought to the expat part of the role? Tremendously. Well, oh, that's interesting, the expat part of it. Um, I think I've felt like an expat everywhere I've ever lived. Because growing up white in Hawaii 
is not necessarily everyone's ideal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I grew up praying that, like, God, if only I were a quarter Japanese. Like, only, or, like, a little Mexican. Like, something that wasn't just white European. And then I came to the mainland and was super confused about race relations on the mainland because um, I just couldn't really relate to them. Like, Hawaii is many things, but it's a multiplicity and people... I don't know, people are really open about race, and I moved to D.C. and was like, wow, there's a lot of tension, a lot of rage, and a lot of violence over this. Um, I, you know, to me, honestly, the part of Hawaii that I drew on, I think, most was the mythology. You know, I grew up speaking Hawaiian and don't anymore. There's nobody to talk to around here. But, um, you know, dancing hula and with songs and mythology and that kind of a thing. And so the idea of a ritual where you can access the spirit of your ancestors or the dead. It just didn't feel quite so far afield the way I think it would have if I'd grown up with a very sort of monotheistic Judeo-Christian paradigm. Um, I guess the premise of the movie sort of made sense to me in a way that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise. So you say you approach the film um, as a psychological drama as well as a horror film. Yeah. In in the process of actually making the film, did it feel more like a, a psychological drama behind the scenes, or did it feel like a scary movie? There were there were moments of like, there's someone behind you, that Johannes would come up to me and be like, "Come here, this is how you do this," and I was like, "Well, but what if I?" He's like, "This is how you do this," and I was like, "Okay." So we do it, and then he'd show it to me, and I was like, "Oh, that really works." He's like, "This is what I do for a living. I'm a horror guy, and this is." You know, what's great, what's awesome to me is that Johannes comes to horror as a true believer. He loves it. He's made a ton of these movies. This is the movies he's always wanted to make. And he has an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that I'm ignorant about in the genre. So he was helpful with those beats that, um, that, that ramp things up for the audience in a really specific way. And so those were a really cool collaboration. And yeah, there are moments, like when you turn around and somebody's right there, like... Yes, that that feels like a horror movie. It does. Because that doesn't happen, you know, if you do it as a drama, the person's not right there, they're right there, and you have a conversation. But if it's a horror movie, they're right there, and, and it makes you jump. Yeah, he's, he's not a Karen Carpenter geek. Yeah. No, no, he's, he's, yeah. So anyway, so Sarah Wayne Kelly's there. <laughs> so The Other Side of the Door, which is this sort of kind of an old-school uh, horror film in that it centres around an expat family, an American family living in India. Their young son dies. I think he's five or six years old. He dies in an accident, and she's traumatised. The mother is traumatised uh, by his death, never finds herself able to move on, and is then told of a way that she can communicate with her son to say her final goodbyes. But of course, as frequently happens, she disobeys the rules and all hell breaks loose. The world of the living and the dead collide with somewhat disastrous results. We have a clip in which we kind of explained the premise. What if I could bring your son back to you just one more time? What if I could give you the chance to say your final goodbye? What are you talking about? I was born in a village in South India. Surrounding our village was a big forest. And deep within this forest, there was an abandoned temple. It is said that the line between the world of the dead and the living is very thin at this place. Take the ashes of your son. Spread them on the steps of this temple. Lock yourself inside. And when night comes, don't feed the gremlins after midnight. That's the moral That's of the it. story. That's it, right? So it, the interesting thing about the film is that uh, everyone involved in it, so Johannes Roberts, Jeremy Sisto, and Sarah Wayne Callis, they all bring the A game, and it works very. It works very well as far as they're concerned. Particularly, really, in the first half of the film, where it's more of a sort of psychological drama thriller. It's more about the grieving mother unable to get by, and you think, okay, if this film's going to go down the route of there isn't really a supernatural element to it, and it's all in her head this is all about trauma and psychosis, then this actually can lead somewhere really, really interesting. It doesn't quite, though. It feels like a cop-out that it's actually gone down the supernatural route. And Sarah Wayne Callis does manage to sell it. And she has sort of a, a Jamie Lee Curtis sort of a thing going on. Jeremy Sisto is this really sort of reliable, you know, very sort of square-jawed, good-natured sort of a character. Yeah. And he pulls that off very well without seeming kind of hackneyed or hammy. Just 
quite dependable. It, quite yeah. dependable. But I don't want to imply that he's boring. He's not really boring at all. And then you've got, of course, Roberts as director. And, well, he brought us uh, Storage 24, if you remember that oh, one, I with Noel yeah. Clark, which was a wow. really interesting sort of aliens kind of... Hmm. kind of a- Aliens in, in effectively a U-store facility. Russell Toby was in that as well. No, oh, was he? I'm not sure. That was the oh, Noel no. Clark one, that's all I remember. Yeah, yeah. He also did F, which he admits himself was Assault on Precinct 13 in a British secondary school. And he knows how to bring the chills, and he does it very well. He, but the problem is the story simply feels like it's cocked out when it gets to the supernatural elements. And you kind of wish it had gone for the infinitely more interesting psychological stuff. And that's a shame, because it really works well when it does it. And Sarah Winko really sells it. She really brings it. She really yeah. brings it. And I'm quite happy. But I liked the film in that regard. But really, not any further. It fell apart for me when it just became a horror film. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, shall we shall we crack on with uh, Secret in Their Eyes, then? Oh, yes, please. Okay, so this is uh, Billy Ray's... Uh, well, Billy Ray's writer and director on this. Well, this is a mm. remake of the Argentinian film of the same name. Stars Chiwetel Ejiofor, Nicole Kidman, Julia Roberts, Dean Norris, Michael Kelly, Alfred Molina... Oh, what a uh, cast. Joe Cole, you might remember from... Oh, what was Joe the Cole. prison movie he did? Young, up-and-coming British actor. did a prison movie. He was quite good. Uh, right, so... Basic gist, you yep. centres around Chiwetel Ejiofor, who is a um, a former investigator for the United States District Attorney's Office. He's part of a counter-terrorism task force, and uh, after many years away, he has returned to the service, having privately tracked down the suspect who got away. Said suspect, of course, being the man believed to be responsible for the murder of one of his team, the murder which, of course, ripped the team apart years earlier. We have a clip of their reunion. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, you? No, I'm... I'm fine. I was just congratulating... Well, you made chief investigator, right? (laughs) So I'm... I'm looking at royalty here. (laughs) You still living in Moorpark? Yes. It's quiet out there. I like the quiet. You still bureau? No. No, I went private sector. Badge kind of lost its charm for me. I'll let you two. No, no, no. Stay. Please. This is about you. I found him, Jess. This is one of those, uh, you know, the sort of requisite English language remake of a vaguely successful foreign film. Like all of yeah. these sort of critically acclaimed foreign films, it's uh, one of those where it's been remade purely for one specific aspect of the film. And nine times out of ten, it's usually something to do with the ending. And in this case, if you know the original, you know that ending and you know what's coming. Um, and, and that stays relatively intact for this one. I'll be honest, I don't remember the original that well. I remember really liking it. But uh, but it's right, this is nowhere near as sort of enjoyably schlocky as The Next Three Days, which was Paul Haggis's remake of Poor L. But it is nowhere near as creaky as Brian De Palma's Passion, which remade uh, Crime D'Amour, which was just God awful! Yeah, what the hell was, was he? Think? No one knows what I he was. Just thinking. forgotten about that film. Oh. Now it's now it's back in my mind. Thank it, you. It's it's that rare beast, the Rachel McAdams film we all wish we hadn't seen. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. So performance wise, there's nothing to fault here. No. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor is surprisingly emerging as this really reliable uh, performer these days. He's really consistent, even in things like Triple Nine. He is a very consistent it's performer. Very solid. You know yeah. where you stand with exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. And he's not quite Benedict Cumberbatch. Caliber, but he's marginally below. I will take Chiwetel for over Benedict Cumberbatch. You take Chewie over Benny, really? Yeah, totally. Uh, well, In battle of the uh, okay. difficult to pronounce British actor names. Yeah, yeah well, totally. let's wait for Doctor Strange and have that out, shall oh, we? Both of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll see. Well, yeah. So, of course, um, after so so soon after Triple Nine, we're about a week after Triple Nine. It's nice to see him get a role with a bit more to do so soon, and he does get a bit more more layering in this. Um. You've got, as I say, solid, high-caliber supporting cast, Julia Roberts, Nicole Kidman, uh, Alfred Molina, and then you've got uh, Dean Norris and Michael Kelly, who are the sort of TV zeitgeisters of the movie, mm. because you've got Dean Norris, who brings in that Breaking Bad audience, yeah. uh, Michael Kelly, who brings in the, the higher-brow Guardian-reading House of Cards audience, and yeah, so there's something for everyone in that regard, but there's a lack of forward thrust to it all. There is a bit of, it's just a, a serious lack of momentum, because it's a very low-energy affair. 
It's not quite as drab and and grit intensive as Triple uh, Nine was, but it really does lack much in the way of oomph. There's no oomph factor to it. It is low energy. It is. Let's just all talk at this volume because we're talking about serious things, so we don't raise our voices and we don't indicate any kind of enthusiasm. It's like having Andre Brower read a phone book. If you can imagine <laughs> such a thing, just well, all one note monotone. That's it. Yeah. But you do feel like if Billy Ray had handled things slightly differently, what you would have this really compelling twisty turny thriller yeah. and then you instead you get sort of a hushed whisper of he's a, a really talented guy as well Billy Ray he is but it does feel like he is somewhat detached from the material and that's a shame because everything is there for him but it's just not properly utilised and yeah, that left me very cold mm. I think so uh, we've not done any film news this week besides Pacific Rim 2 so we should, should, we, talk- should we do some more um, well Rooney Mara have you heard this story Rooney Mara's oh, apologised. Pan, yeah, she's apologised to yeah, Pan, yeah. and mm. because you know we all panned Pan, as it as <laughs> it indeed pan pan. we panned Pan, as it indeed deserved to be. It, it deserved a good Pan. Because obviously she played the role of Tiger Lily. There was a yeah. big outcry, of course. <clears throat> Why have you got a white girl playing a Native American? And she, she well, at the time, everyone was kind of hush hush about it. They have now sort of acknowledged. Yes, we. Yeah, we, nobody from the actual cast or. Who was the director? Joe Wright. Joe Wright. Joe Wright yeah. didn't say anything about the casting. Didn't go full Ridley Scott about it. No, he's just out and out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish they all went Ridley Scott. Which was... oh. <laughs> or my fa- my personal favourite, which is Alex Proyas, which is, you know what? We did wrong. We'll do better We're next sorry. time. Yeah. Are, are you going to get another film, Alex Proyas? After <laughs> I Gods really, of Egypt? I love him for that. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, this, this news absolutely shook me to the core. Have you heard the runtime of uh, Batman Superman? Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I have. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it? It's it's just over two and a half hours. It's 151 minutes. <sighs> Bring a cushion, kids. That is, exactly. Yeah. Bring a pillow. God. <sighs> I mean, I mean, I, I, they have got to set up like 19 films out of it. So and, in this, yeah, 20 odd different characters. Yeah, there's 36 and, cameos. That's and, it. Yeah, 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 you know, 14 course. subplots. Is that? And, is it a little bit longer than Dark Knight? I think it is. I think it's something like 10 minutes longer than Dark Knight. Well, that, uh, not Dark Knight. Sorry, uh, Man of Steel. I'm thinking Dark right, Knight yeah. is about the two and a half hour mark. Yeah. and it was two and three quarters for Dark Knight Rises. Okay. So, in the meanwhile, Emma yeah. Thompson. Uh, Emma Thompson, Emma Watson, not Emma Thompson. Emma too many Watson. famous Emmas. Too many yeah. famous Emmas. Um, taking Emma, a break. She's she? taking a break. She's taking a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's taking a break. She's taking a year out to uh, pursue her own interests. She's, she's going okay. apparently. She's going to read a book a week apparently because she has this book club thing. Fantastic. She's, she's doing famous uh, so book club. She is. She's cool. taking a year off from acting. Mm. My favourite comment on this came from uh, Mr. Alan Frank, who said, "In order to take a year off from acting, wouldn't she have to start acting first? Hey yo! Hey That's why they pay the big bucks, man. <laughs> so on then to King, King Jack. So this is King Jack, it's not King Bob. It's King Jack. I couldn't resist doing that. No, so of this, course. This is a feature debut of uh, writer director Felix Thompson. This is a uh, well, the sort of secret summer kind of a kind of a story. It's uh, it's the story of a fifteen year old boy who's you know he's he's got summer school, but he's relatively unsupervised for it. Uh, he loves getting into scrapes, tagging houses, graffiti, all that. And then one day, his younger, more innocent cousin comes to stay with him and happens to arrive round about the time of a sort of coming of age in Jack's life. We have a clip. Right, right, guys. Jack, it's your turn. Okay, Harry, truth or dare? Dare. Ooh, no, don't do it. Shh. It's her turn. You can pick on your turn. What do I have to do? I dare you to flash ban me. Okay, fine. See? No big deal. Everyone get a good look? Good? Okay, that's enough. Seven out of ten, I'd say. Ten. Definite ten. What you've got here is this sort of enjoyably scuzzy, working-class indie drama. Uh, it's from a first-time filmmaker who really, really lays a solid calling card with this one. Um, you've got a great performance, front and centre, from Charlie Plum as a young actor from Boardwalk Empire. Now, I've never watched okay. Boardwalk Empire, so I'm unfamiliar mm-hmm. with this. Have you, have you not? I've, I've seen like ten minutes of the pilot, never really gotten into okay. it. Uh, but what he delivers is this really raw and sort of um, consciously undisciplined sort of a performance. And he has got this sort of youthful charisma that makes you think of a sort of adolescent Dane DeHaan. 
if you could imagine that. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm watching it thinking, this is like Dane DeHaan at 15. You, that, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Dane DeHaan always looks like he's about 15. Despite <laughs> the fact that he's like 30-odd. No. <laughs> <laughs> DiCaprio's 45, isn't he? We forget that. He's up there. He's up there. <laughs> uh, you've then got Yanis uh, Yanishinoa, Corey Nichols. They bring a little heart to the sort of uh, supporting roles of the love interest and the cousin. And then you've got Christian Madsen uh, as the older brother, who has this sort of doughy but heartfelt uh, performance. Incidentally, Christian Madsen, who was in Divergent. Do you know who he, who Sonny is? In in real life. In real life. No. Michael Madsen. He's also no the nephew. That makes him the nephew of Virginia Madsen as well. So, yeah, a little the, bit of trivia there. more you know. The more the you more know. You know. <laughs> so this is a tidy, very lean, 80-minute sort of an affair. Yeah. Um, there isn't a dull minute. It's, it's, a, it's a really sort of relatable coming-of-age time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, you, not any of us are ever living in quite as, as rough a circumstance as as this character is. But uh, it's, it's brutal at times. It's hilarious at others. It is one of those great, potentially neglected by audiences, mm. indie gems. It's one of those films that you wish people would give the time of day to, and you, you can't talk fondly enough about it there is you will smile throughout but at the same time you will wince and be horrified at it i found it brilliant i did i thought it was great and i love the central performance by charlie Plummer. um i think he is a star in the making i think the film really found something there and uh, well on that note we cue the music with the latest film news and reviews this is off screen the on-screen radio show and we're back. We literally do dance to that. If you've ever wondered, we do actually dance we to that. We should film it every week. We should, we're not periscoping this. <laughs> right. So, should we, uh, should we finish the box office top ten for let's, this week? Let's then? quit our disco dancing. Number five. Dad's Army. Dad's Army. You know, I have spoken to people about this, and I, I don't seem to be in the minority on this one. I think a lot of people are quite underwhelmed yeah. by it. A lot of people wanted something more and something, I think, not biting. I think biting assumes that you want something a lot nastier yeah. than what it is. You, and it, it wouldn't have been correct for the sort of Exactly. You want something good-natured, but a little <clears> bit more challenging, this really watered down, really sort of... Because it is a dad joke, but it's... It kind of sounds like a wet trifle. It did. That, that's, yeah. that's the best comparison it's I can think trifle. of. And, I mean... When when you get to the Catherine Zeta-Jones role, you are talking about typecasting to a really negligent degree. And that's the problem. The film feels really half-hearted and very lazy and very sitcom-y. And that's a shame given the quality of the cast for it. Number four. Goosebumps. Goosebumps, which I really love. This is, and this has gone up as well. This was, it has, this was number yeah. five last Plus, week. It's just been holidays, hasn't yeah, it? Has. So. Well, I mean, this is this is really Jumanji. It's Casper. It's, it's Night Museum. It's it's all those ones. It's, yeah. it's, as much as I hate to say it, it is like Nickelodeon did Cabin in the Woods. Thank you very much, I believe, Justin Chang of Variety, because I'm so annoyed I didn't come up with that quote. That is, yeah. Yeah, and Jack Black's Nailed a lot of fun in it. And yeah. that's the thing. I, I, lo- I, lo- I, love, I love a twist on R.L. Stein and being actually, yeah. Yeah, I'll start having his little cameo. I had a lot of fun with it. I, I haven't seen it in three. I know it is released in three D. I haven't seen it in three D actually because it was press shown in two D. No, I've seen it in, in two D. Yeah, and but to be fair, it's so enjoyable that doesn't really matter. Number three, how to be single? A new entry. How to be single. How to be underwhelming, I found. <laughs> no, I mean, it is chucklesome, but it's not hilarious. It is a film no. that tr- that keeps insisting, oh, we're going to defy the rules, we're going to break convention, we're going to be risque, but then falls back on cliches. Tropes, yeah. falls, falls back on the dynamic tropes. This is a film that wants to be R-rated and salacious, mm-hmm. but has that, that old tired and worn cliche that apparently women post-coitus still have their underwear on. You know that old film trope? Have you noticed yeah. this? There, there's no mm-hmm. such thing as a topless woman after sex. It, it's always with the. This is one of those films, and yet it purports to be this great R-rated, you know, mm. you know ceiling wall breaking sort of an affair. And it's not the case. Not the case. Really not. Number two, uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the road chip. Well, put put it this way: if I if I actually were hitchhiking on a road chip, and <laughs> uh, on a road trip, yeah. and the Chipmunks wrote the road chip was actually a car that was coming mm. towards me, I would put my thumb down. And just, just like jump, look at, jump look at my feet, look at my oh, feet, no, just... pretend I wasn't hitchhiking. Oh. I would let it sail by. I would rather be stranded than watch this film. It wasn't funny, and it wasn't. You could buy the soundtrack to this and replace having to see the film because that's all it is. It is a very tired, very warm plot, not very endearing versions of the Chipmunks, and some new songs, and that's I, it. I really miss Jason Lee. Well, that's it. it made me think of the later seasons of Glee. Number one. Hey, yeah, I wanna shoot, baby. Shoot. 
It's Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> I don't even need you to introduce that one. We just know. Oh, we, we just go Deadpool. 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 Which has now made five hundred million worldwide. It's made isn't half it? a billion dollars have, worldwide. Have you, like, Ryan Reynolds is getting apparently a bonus for this. He is as is the director if he decides to come back because I do not know that he got paid the, just the flat the entry flat fee. fee. It was a first time filmmaker. Wasn't it, it is, and we get it's two hundred and fifty. Two hundred fifty grand. Yeah, which is peanuts, really. It, it is, yes, yeah. but uh, oh well. But, what a film how yeah. it's funny it's visceral mm. it is nasty but in a sort of charming way i really really liked it it is a love story as it, well and it is kind of a love story but in a knowing goofy way and yeah. it is quite and that's the thing it is knowing it's a very very knowing of film. and <laughs> it is it's so meta <laughs> so meta meta to a fault yeah. and i'll give you a hint his name rhymes with schmolverine <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great sort of great. It's a yeah. good time movie. It is everything though. It's a it's a it's a pretty fun date movie. It's a pretty fun yeah. beer and pizza movie. It's a pretty fun. I'm having a bad day and just want to sit just, here and watch yeah. this on my own. I just want it on in the background for a couple of giggles. Exactly. I can't yeah. recommend it highly enough. But apparently, you've all already seen it. So <laughs> probably a couple of times. <laughs> in which case, go and give it more money. Give I, more I have money a friend seen it eight times. You're kidding yeah. me, dear God. Even I'm not that bad. I've only seen Star Wars twice. I've seen it twice. Yeah. So let's move on then to the film that they wouldn't press show, <laughs> as it will be known. They, they wouldn't press show it, um, and they, it's, it's out. It's going to come out uh, on a Wednesday, so you yeah. Know, so right, this is uh, Grimsby. Grimsby, mm. uh, which stars Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Strong, Isla Fisher, Rebel Wilson, Penelope Cruz, uh, Oscar nominee Barkad Abdi. Please pay particular attention to that. And is he in yes, it, really? he is. And this is oh, the story man. of. A master spy played by Mark Strong, who's forced to go on the run when he's framed for an assassination attempt, and is forced to team up and hide with his wayward, estranged, well, poor person brother, played by Sasha Baron Cohen. We have a clip. Isn't life strange? I mean, yesterday I'm having a normal day down the pub with my mate, and here we are now with my brother doing some running, swimming, all different types of cardio. Can I ask you a question? Are you a Vin Diesel impersonator? I'm a secret agent. I work for an offshoot of MI6. How can you not tell your own brother what you do? Because within the title of my occupation, it's the word secret. But if you can't trust family, who can you trust? Trust you? Trust you? Because of you, the head of the World Health Organization is dead and Harry Potter has AIDS. You managed to do in three seconds what Voldemort fails to do in eight movies. Don't wet your knickers, it's treatable. Can I just sum this up very succinctly using the, well, the voice of Brad Pitt? Let's let him do it for us. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh! And I thought of that all the way through Grimsby. And I <laughs> you, say, you're thinking of, like, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. Oh, I yeah. really was. It is <laughs> Awful. It is 80 of the most unfunny minutes of your life. It has a bizarre pre- preoccupation with... Well, a bizarre homophobic preoccupation with gay sex in, in a really strange way. As in the mm. film, see, just it can't help itself. It's obsessed. You've got a plot which, frankly, is just uninteresting. You've seen it done better. Alex Ryder's Stormbreaker is a better spy, spy spy comedy than this is. Mark Strong looks embarrassed throughout, and you, in turn, feel embarrassed for him. Yeah, he should be an amazing, like, James Bond bad guy. That's what he, he, he should really be. should. And then... A bunch of actors that you respect otherwise keep mm. showing up to yeah. lower your opinions of them. So Ian McShane what are you shows doing up. Ian McShane. Yeah, Ian yeah. McShane, no idea what he's up to. Uh, Penelope Cruz, who, well, we can mm. now honestly say that Zoolander 2 is not the worst film she's going to have out in 2016. And then, of course, Oscar nominee Barkhad Abdi uh, turns up. And Oscar nominee Barkhad Abdi turns up to play a heroin dealer. And. Yeah, that that's what we've turned Oscar nominee Barkad Abdi into. Good lord. There is one jo- sorry, there are two jokes in the film that lands. One's about FIFA and one is about killing with handguns. They are genuinely clever, but that is it. It is just puerile, just unamusing, uninteresting, nausea-inducing, eye-rolling, sleep just just sleep-inducing. Boredom. The 80 of the longest minutes you've ever seen in your mm. life. I just... 
Not a fan. This Not is a, a film I genuinely sat and watched that you know what, yeah. Gabori Sadibe is better than this. She is. <laughs> she really is. She's an Oscar nominee as and well. And she's an Oscar nominee, yeah. yeah. And you know what? I like I said to you earlier, I'm convinced now that this is this is the result of Sasha Baron Cohen not getting that Freddie Mercury move that he wanted. And he's just and inflicting he's, these it. films. He's on taking us, yeah. it out on us, the audience, but you know what? I'm gonna put out any old crap and they're gonna sit there and watch it and they're gonna suffer for it. He'd be so until good I'm Freddie. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. But like we say we should do a parody where he's Eddie oh, yeah. Eddie Lithium. Eddie Lithium. Eddie Lithium. Who were the other characters we thought of? Uh, Ryan Day. <laughs> oh, but, but, and, and, and Dodger Naylor. Dodger Naylor. <laughs> Dodger Naylor. And it would be a parody. But uh, yeah, don't see Grimsby. Please don't. In fact, do you know what's a lot more fun? What's Actually that? going to Grimsby. Actually going to Grimsby is more fun than watching the movie Just Grimsby. Go to Grimsby, get some fish and chips, you'll have a good time. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you will go, go and eat fish and chips in Grimsby for 80 minutes. That is more entertaining than watching the movie Grimsby. A movie which, incidentally, casts Grimsby as basically a holding pen for the contestants of a Jeremy Kyle show. Why Grimsby? Because, I mean... It, there's no reason for it. There is absolutely no reason. Other, other than... Just take, take, like, a big map of the north of the country and just drop a pin? I, like, I think that's oh, it. Luke, they want Luke. somewhere scuzzy, basically. Somewhere a bit scummy, a bit grimy. And that's what they've gone for. And that's the joke, because there's nothing else to Grimsby in the film. Grimsby is literally there to be a council estate. That's how they depict the film. And it's an entire town that is just a council estate. That is how this film depicts it. And that's, that's not right. I mean, there's, a, there's at least an Odeon and a market. You know, I'll see that. <laughs> but no, don't see it. Don't see. Give your money to the actual town of Grimsby instead. Do not give it to yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen. Donate it. He does not deserve This film apparently had three writers... Good lord, how does that work? What did they do? I, I, just, I, ain't got, I ain't got a clue. Could not tell you. I not. couldn't fathom what three <laughs> writers did on this film. So we choose a film of the week before you have like a brain aneurysm. Ch- ch- film of the week. Right, okay. I found the propaganda game quite amusing. Okay. And I think it is entertaining enough. I think in, in, in a mainstream way. What was the name of, of your pal? Uh, Ali, Alejandro Keo de Buenos. De Buenos. I believe. And, oh, he's, he's fantastic. Get Kevin J to play this man in a sort of comedic biopic, please. <laughs> Um, I also recommend King Jack if you get the chance as well. I thought that was superb. I really, really loved uh, Charlie Plummer's performance in there. Okay, and I do. I'm think definitely going to check it out. Do check it out. It's really worth watching. Good. So let's have a look at what we've got to come next week. Uh, we've got Truth next week, in which doesn't oh, Robert yeah. Redford play Dan Rather? He does indeed. With Kate Blanchett. Kate, with, with Kate yeah. Blanchett. Yeah, Kate Blanchett. We, we got Kate Blanchett with the budget. With the budget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got the Coen Brothers return with Hail Caesar. Oh, so excited. We've got the documentary Hitchcock. Truffaut next oh, week yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, you know this one's coming? I do, yeah. You know far more about these things than I do. Uh, we've got uh, Goodnight Mommy, which I know nothing of. No, uh, Time no. Out of Mind, which is our second Richard Gere film in two weeks. Is that, that's the homeless Richard That's Gere the one. homeless that's one. Home, the one right. we're going to review in the podcast, Extras, is the one we use the rich guy. It's like guy. the polar opposite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And of course, Gerard Butler is back because you demanded it. London has fallen. So, we've got all those to come next week and more off, off screen. This has been a Caddy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay. Can you believe we wound up with three films to review in a podcast extras this I week? I cannot believe it. That, that is I won't, I won't believe it. Right, so, okay, we've got to start with the one, and this, this was kind of the low point of my entire week, so we've got to start with Exposed. That makes me sad. Which was originally entitled Daughter of God. Is directed by uh, Declan Dale. Sorry, no, G. Malik. No, no, it's Declan. No? no, hang on, no, I'm getting confused now. You see, it's actually directed by G. Malik Linton, and written by G. Malik Linton. However, However he what? took his name off the film, and he's credited instead as Declan Dale. Warning bells, warning bells. Warning bells, and this, this will tell you. Okay, I'll get to the controversial story afterwards. This is the story of a young woman living in Brooklyn named Isabel, played by uh, Anna Diama, uh, who is one of the two girls from uh, Knock Knock. The one who isn't married right. to okay. Eli yeah. Roth. Right. She witnesses... A, mirac- a miraculous event, a sort of miracle on the New York subway. And then almost immediately afterwards, her life starts to just take these weird and strange and surreal, life-changing turns. In the meanwhile, you also have Keanu Reeves, who is a sort of world-weary, beaten-down detective, who is investigating the murder of his partner, only to find that the trail is leading him mysteriously to Isabel. We have a clip. Hey, talk to me. Well, let's see... 
He's dead. He's dead. She's dead. Mr. De La Cruz is nowhere to be found. And she saw something. She was there. But what am I going to do? Bring her in? She'll be dead in a week. No one's saying a thing. And suddenly nobody speaks English either. Well, the Spanish is halfway decent, isn't it? My Spanish sucks, but that's not the problem. It's just nobody's talking. Nobody's saying a thing. And I don't blame them. But somebody knows something. She knows what happened. Where to begin with this? Okay, let me tell you the story, how it went. Okay, apparently uh, G. Mallet Linton went to Lionsgate to pitch this film. He pitched the story, uh, a really dark story about a young woman, supernaturally, religiously inclined things happening to it, basically the Anadiyama part of the story. It's called Daughter of God, so that kind of makes sense. Somewhere along the line, towards the end of filming, really, Lionsgate somehow decided that they'd actually been missold this film, and they believed that they had bought a Keanu Reeves cop thriller. Now, I don't quite get how that works. Not with that title. Okay, so the idea is then that they overtook the editing process and shifted the focus to Keanu Reeves' character. Now, the interesting thing is there's an old computer term uh, called uh, GIGO, GIGO, which which stands for garbage in, garbage out, which means if you put the wrong thing into a calculation, if you put the wrong figures into a calculation, the result you get will be wrong as well. Because you put garbage in, you get garbage out. Now, regardless of the interference from the studio end, I believe that to be the case with Exposed. The ideas themselves simply don't work. The film is incoherent, and it's incoherent regardless of its editing flaws. Because this is a film which has events simply take place off screen that are then really important to the plot later on and we are then shown them towards the very end when it's racing towards this finish in which it needs to somehow tie these disparate narrative threads all together and yet it happens so long into this near two hour film that you just don't care you know how i called secret in their eyes low energy this is even lower energy i mean because you can hear from the clip just, keanu reeves is dead yeah keanu reeves yeah. Is, is just dead behind the wheel at this at this stage okay. he is phoning this one in for a paycheck this is the knock knocks on screen reunion that nobody asked for i mean I mean, you'd have gotten more liveliness out of Lorenzo, Lorenzo Iso, to be honest, admittedly. But Anna Diarma, though, not an unentertaining screen person. There is something enthralling about her as a leading lady, and I quite liked her in it. The problem is simply, the film is not very good. Uh, Declan Dale slash G. Malik Linton is a completely uninteresting director because his attempt to infuse any kind of sort of immersive urban urban spirituality into this has just come out looking grimy and bleak and unappealing. And you're looking at this film thinking, I'm bored just looking at this. And then you've got this this score all the way throughout, which is this ah sort of effect. You're like, what? What the hell is this? You've just got like a choir on retainer that they just have to use. It, it feels like. Do you know what it feels like? It feels like the score to End of Days. You know, during the pseudo-religious oh, bits of yeah, End yeah. of Days, it's like that all the way. It doesn't let up. Whenever Gabriel Byrne is on screen. Yeah, Whenever yeah, Gabriel Byrne yeah. is on the screen, and no, avoid this film like the plague. <laughs> just, just do. It is awful. So we got to talk about that news uh, you just showed me, which is uh, Michael B. Jordan. Is he in talk for, or is he signed on for the Thomas Crown Affair remake? One of the two. Let me just clarify. Let me clarify. Is, is he clarification? Because this is an interesting one. He just says that he is uh, he's set to star. So I think like he he's started in talks and oh, he's, okay. he's pretty much there. But Rem- another cool. remake of Thomas Crown. It's it's a good story. It and is a good story. It's been... After the whole Oscar so white thing, <laughs> this is going to be all. It's not a black person in segregation or anything else. It's going to be. Is it based on? Yeah. It's based on a novel, Thomas Crown. It is. It? Yeah. yeah it is. Okay. I, I know there was a Stephen really, Queen really movie. Really good character. And... So. It is. I like the role. Although we never got that means we're never going to get that Pierce Brosnan sequel now. Which... What a shame. Oh man, he, he might just show up. No, you don't. I hope he cameos. I Me do. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Steve. I hope Steve McQueen, the director, cameos just for a laugh. Uh, apparently, I've just seen some more news. Well, go on, what you got? Coming news. What you got for me, case? Go on. Zombieland Two is still happening. It's still Sony. happening. Yeah, Sony have just said it's still happening. I know they have a script because yeah. they, they they recently hired the writing for for writer for someone else. But mm. okay, let's talk about the forest then, real quick. Yes. Um, this is the uh, this. <laughs> this is brilliant, this one. This is the feature film debut of Jason Zada, who is the man responsible for the Elf Yourself app. Now, take a minute to sink that one in. 
Elf Yourself. The Elf Yourself oh, app. Oh, I know exactly you, what that was. You know I the remember. app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I hate the man that. who I hate The man that. who came up with that has now directed a movie starring Natalie Dormer in which she is one of a pair of twins. Uh, the other sister, the irresponsible one, has gone missing in a Japanese forest in which people traditionally go to commit suicide. She, of course, being the straight-laced one, ventures out to save her and, on her way to the forest, just happens to meet the only other American in Japan. And, as you do, Who's played by Taylor Kinney because Jeffrey Dean Morgan was busy that week. Yeah. And and oh, was that Lady Gaga's Is it fiance? Is he? Yeah. I had no idea. The more you know again. Oh, okay. Well, Tufa. I Double. just I just know him as the sort of, you know, silver haired hunk from Chicago Fire, I think it is. Yeah, no, same dude. But uh, he he's the one who isn't Chase on Chicago Fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course, he goes into the the spooky forest. But of course, it's not just the forest that's that can kill you. It's the evil that lives inside. We have a clip. What's going on? I'm going to Japan. The police think Jess is dead. What? Apparently they have a forest in Japan where people go to kill themselves. And Jess went into it. Sounds like exactly the kind of place your sister will go hiking for fun. Rob, she's my twin. She's in trouble and she needs me. She always needs you. She makes a bad decision and you clean up a mess. I don't know, Rob. It feels different this time. Right, so this one is occasionally, and I do have to say occasionally, (laughs) visually interesting. Yet it is lumbered with the clunkiest script you will encounter in quite some time. As you can hear from that clip, the dialogue to this is appalling. It is really... This is a film that genuinely expects sentient adult human beings to believe in the quantifiable reality of twins feeling each other's pain. As if it's like gravity, as if it's a certainty in life. Mm. That doesn't make any damn sense. Seriously? That's really... So she essentially gets, like, like, a hunch... The... Oh, every now and again she says, oh, well, I know this is going on because that's my twin, and no, no that's not how this works. Okay. Your, your dog does not know that you have set off from work to drive home and is just waiting for you. They they hear you from a distance. That's how it works. There's, real, mm. there's reality, and then there's your spooky voodoo thing. No. Um, so this has got not one but three relatively unknown writers behind it, and boy does it show. Just really, boy, and this is just a mess. It's trying to be this psychological, supernatural, you know, horror hybrid. It's trying to go along the same lines as the other side of the door, and yet, frankly, isn't anywhere near as ent- as, in- as interesting or entertaining as the other side of the door. Because at least the other side of the door had the psychological horror aspect to run, and an actress who was clearly up to it. Now, I'm not saying that Natalie Dormer's bad in this; she's not. She's perfectly fine. But this is not the great breakout role that she's hoping for. Because I think this is clearly a sort of let's cash in on Game of Thrones yeah. kind of a role. Let's get the pin up from Game of Thrones. Well, she's been doing quite a lot of like lead stuff on the telly. Yeah, that's so, it. She's she's getting around think on this telly. This is just but... the natural kind of like the next step. That's it. The other problem as well is, in terms of being a horror film, it falls really flat in that Jason Zarda uses what utilizes one jump scare early on, one very specific kind of jump scare early on in the film, and then every time the film requires a chill, which is roughly every twenty twenty or so minutes, he uses the same exact scare, which you're like. Well, Really? You're not scared of it if you've seen it four times. You, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. You you can't show us the same thing over and over, no. and it, it has the, the same, same effect. effect yeah. does not work that way, and the film falls flat as a result. It's repetitive, it's predictable, and this is the thing. <laughs> it just casts aside any notion of being this character-driven, psychological you know, thriller, and just goes for, let's just, let's just do another J-horror throwback, and we're going to go for ineffective shock tactics. That's what we're going to go for. And it just feels... Like a waste of time. It really, you're just not interested in it. It's also incoherent to the point of being nonsensical. Remember when Terry Pratchett once accused Doctor Who of be of of make it up as you go along, Yeah. He called it. This is that as a film. It is a film that literally just conjures ideas out of nowhere. <laughs> remember, remember Forty Seven Ronin. By the way, I, I magic. That. That's this as a horror <laughs> film. That's this. If you thought 47 Ronin with Keanu Reeves just spontaneously declared, oh, by the way, I'm magic, was complete shash, then welcome to the forest, where shash is the order of the day. <laughs> shash literally coming off the trees. It's literally. The trees are growing shash. <laughs> Yeah, shash trees. It is. It is time wasting. It's unfulfilling. It wastes the potential of the or it wastes it wastes the time of the audience, the potential of the cast, and the meat of a good concert. It's basically as good as the Elf Yourself app. 
That, that's the best way to say it. In which case... That was not good. In which case, go figure. Go, yeah. go figure. You get an app designer to make a horror movie. What did you think was going to happen? It wasn't even a horror app. It was a Christmas, Christmas insert one. your face app. And they've given him if a horror movie. If that was a guy that like, made, I don't know, Krampus, that makes sense. That's Christmas <laughs> and horror. <laughs> exactly. So speaking of unknown writers, by the way, yeah. um, they've, they've hired two unknown writers to write a sequel to San Andreas. Did you hear that? No, I knew that San Andreas 2 was coming. San Andreas 2 is coming. Yeah. New Line have hired like a pair of basic unknowns to write it. Have you heard okay. what the plot is? No. It's going to be the Ring of Fire, which goes around the Pacific. Uh, it's oh, a chain yes. of fault lines of volcanoes. Yeah. And everyone's apparently returning. Everyone's returning. Like, Amazing. really? How, Do you know what? That film did well. It really that did. Really it did well. It was, it, I believe it was Warner Brothers and New Line's most successful film of the year. That's crazy. It's insane, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it's something like the third or fourth highest grossing film last year, isn't it? It's something like something that. Like yeah. that. You wouldn't expect it to have done so well, but, but it's been rock. Do you know what? I, I, the, the, the certainty is it couldn't possibly be, be as bad as Speed 2 Cruise Control. No. I mean, unless it's like, you know, Dwayne Johnson's taking the family on holiday to the South Pacific, things go wrong, and then wouldn't you know it, they run into Paul Giamatti, who's just there doing some science. I and... would I won't be surprised if that was it. <laughs> Paul Giamatti is literally there to do some science. He's just there or, doing some science. Or, like, manage a band poorly. That's his <laughs> Why own... would he be... Oh, of course. Yeah. Because he manages bands. And yeah, That's what he does in, in movies now. That's what yeah. he does in movies. What were the two he did? There was Straight Outta Compton. And Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy, of course. <laughs> Oh man, I'd forgotten about Love and Mercy. Yeah, I was alright. I know you—you you were a bigger fan of that than I was, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so San Andreas Two coming soon. Yeah. Please call it San Andreas Two Volcanic Boogaloo. Please, oh, please that call film, it. That, that film writes itself. That really that does. Itself. Oh man, could you just imagine the fun you'd have with the marketing for that one? <laughs> to San, to Andreas. <laughs> Right, so let's talk about the benefactor then, which is the first Richard of Gere. which not first of not one but two Richard Gear films that we're getting in rapid succession. Richard Gear is a lot like buses, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <I mean, laughs> Richard Gear is like buses. Uh, so this is hey, we've got he's playing a rich man this week, a poor man next week. In time out of mind, this is the story of a, uh, a sort of well, reclusive, uh, reclusive rich guy played by Gear, who has gone into basic seclusion following a car accident which took the lives of his best friend's married couple, his best friends. Um, years later, he is contacted one day by their now-adult daughter, played by Dakota Fanning, who, yes, Dakota Fanning is still around. Dakota Fanning is heavily pregnant. She's got a young husband, played by Theo James, who's playing an American. And Richard Gere, having the power that he does, sort of comes out of hiding and buys them a house. He decides he's going to basically serve as the father figure mm. to them, although okay. his motives are not entirely pure as he's struggling with pain management issues and, and painkiller addiction and at the same time his imposing his will onto their lives leads to something of a conflict and a little bit of uh, yeah a little, yeah. little bit of conflict so we have a clip Freddie I can't prescribe you this why not? I can't you really in that much pain I do I don't think you need it <sighs> I really don't think you should be telling me what I need, Lukey. You know, it wasn't easy getting you this job. Freddie, how long have you been taking this? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. This was all a joke, man. It was a test. Relax, relax. You passed the test. You did good. I'm proud of you. No, no, no. This is good. You are like Bobby. No, you don't roll over for anybody. Not for me, nobody. The world needs more men like you. Thank God I know you. As you can hear from that clip, Richard Gere is back. You know, it, 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 and Richard Gere is like, well, you say he's like buses, but he is one of those screen presences that you, you do miss in a strange yeah. way. Um, no, I was warned off the film ahead of time <laughs> by none other than Mark Kermode, who really likes okay. Richard Gere. Yeah. And, and he was like, this is not good gear. In fact, that's what he said. It's not one of his best. <laughs> At which point I had to confess to Mark Kermode that my favourite Richard Gere film is the 1997 China set thriller Red Corner. Corner, yeah. Which I really I like Do you know it's on UK yeah. Netflix? I watch it like every three or four months. I just love that film. Jackal. Jackal's over there. You like the Jackal? Yeah. No, it doesn't really do it for me. So, relatively unknown filmmaker here, Andrew uh, Rez- uh, Renzi. 
uh, who's written and directed this. And this is coming off the back of Richard Gere doing Arbitrage. I think it was about 18 months, two oh, years yeah. ago. Well, that was, that was a really interesting one yeah. as well. What we've basically reached is this stage where he he's almost an added value element to a film. Like You feel like you're going to watch a relatively straight-laced drama. And then you've got the added value element of Richard Gere. Now, even though the film again, doesn't have much in the way of momentum, not much in the way of charisma or energy. Any life that's injected into it comes almost solely from Richard Gere. And that's it. It is the Richard Gere show and nothing else. You are watching this purely <laughs> to enjoy the company of Richard Gere. And don't get me wrong, he's charismatic enough to pull that off. Yeah. And he's not going to do it in that whole Al Pacino, Danny Collins <laughs> thing where he's just wild and larger than life. <laughs> Hoo-ah! Hoo-ah! <laughs> <laughs> Why the guy don't carry his money in a while? <laughs> you know. But as I say, it is very much one for the Richard Gear diehards only. Yeah. Unless you're Mark Kermode, which gets apparently it fails the test. One for the Theo James diehards? Are um, there any Theo James diehards? I don't think there are any Theo James no, uh, diehards. Just... Although, you know, I will say, after having seen the Inbetweeners movie when he has poop on the end of his nose, I've never been able to was take him. Was that him? That was him. Oh, I've man. never been able to take him seriously. That's a few years before I kind of took notice about who he was. Yeah. was just no some, one knew like, who he was. Some, some beefcake. It makes it really difficult to take him seriously as a love interest in the Divergent series when you've literally seen the man yeah. brown nosing. <laughs> maniacal, maniacal laugh. <laughs> We're bad people. We are, but Chris Cooper's a fantastic actor. So, he really is. Yeah. He really is. Um, no, I say it's 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 one of those. It's a six out of ten film. It's not awful. It's marginally above average. It's just kind of gripping enough. You know? You're not going to watch it when you're in the mood for some, something really thrilling. But, you know, when you want something with, you know, it's character-driven, that's not really too taxing, it's got a bit of drama from the whole drug addict side of it, yeah, go for it. But you can't really complain about it. Okay. But uh, then again, you don't really come to this show for complaints. We know why people come to this show and ensure it's Alison for complaints. So on it's, that it's note... It's for the Baywatch news. It is for the Baywatch news, which we have not. Uh. But uh, unfortunately, we do have your moment of cage. Good afternoon, sir. Hello. Been drinking, have we? Just a nip. Just popped down to the pub for a pint. Bit of all right. Going to arrest the man for that. Going to detain a blighter for enjoying his whiskey. It's all right, that's enough, sir. Beggars and mash. Bobs and squeak. Smoke the old pie. Sir. Haggers! That's it. Dismount the banister. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Here they are. 